It's time for another episode of Dynasty Oasis podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Newts and Josh Adkins. Welcome to another episode of Dynasty Oasis podcast. My name is Matthew Newts. You can find me on Twitter at Nasty Newts. With me today, as always, is Joshua Adkins at Dynasty Oasis. How's it going, Josh? It's going great. Another fun Monday, a grinding film with you. Um, obviously, we had a fun day of football yesterday. It, real quick, is, is Championship Sunday your favorite NFL Sunday of the year? Yeah, it, it usually is. Sometimes you get a great uh, divisional round when you got twice as many games. But this year, this was definitely the best playoff weekend so far. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Fortunately, we had one really good game. The second game kind of got out of hand. But uh, all in all, yeah, you're right. It's the best best weekend of the year for NFL fans. Yeah, and it was a little bit ruined, like you said, by that second game not being being as good as we kind of hoped it might be, and especially because I was really rooting for the Bills. I know you were as well. Um, Bills Mafia will be back. Uh, Josh Allen obviously didn't have his strongest performance here, um, but this is a team that's going to be back in this situation, and I think uh, they'll learn and grow from it. Um, it was certainly a fun weekend of football. Um, on the show today, uh, we're going to do grade the trade, Newts. I know you got a trade for us. We're going to go through the the, uh, the championship action this Sunday. Um, and then we're going to start taking a look at the Senior Bowl rosters and some of these um, risers and fallers potentially at this week's Senior Bowl. Um, with no combine this year, I, you know, I had to look pre-show. Both the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl and the East-West Shrine Bowl have been canceled due to COVID concerns. Um, so it's kind of the senior bowl and pro days. Those are going to be our sort of, uh, information points as we go through this process leading up to the NFL draft. Um, I think it's an important week and I'm kind of excited. We, we spent some time together and kind of separately watching some of these prospects, uh, for the American team we're going to do today. Um, I enjoyed it. I think they've got a strong class this year and I think it's a really important week for dynasty managers and for NFL prospects alike. Yeah, and everyone knows kind of the the front-end guys in this rookie class. And as I kind of dive deeper into this prospect pool, I'm getting more and more excited about this draft class. You're Mm going to find some good players in the third and fourth rounds of your rookie drafts and maybe even undrafted guys. It's it's a big class of skill position guys, and we're going to do a lot of homework on it and really highlight the guys that interest us. And I think we found a few guys on this episode that we can kind of highlight that you don't need to take in round one, but guys to put on your cheat sheets and pay attention to. Absolutely. Uh, Without uh, delaying any further, I think we should get right into grade the trade. This one is extremely interesting. First, First off, Newt's before you lay out the trade, kind of lay out this team. This is a dynasty orphan you took over a couple weeks yeah, ago, is I'm that kinda, right? I'm kind of obsessed with taking over orphans right now for whatever reason. I'm hungry for for more leagues. I'm going to increase my dynasty league total significantly next year. And I've, what I like to do on myfantasyleagues.com, if you're not sure what orphan even means, I should uh, um, yeah, expand do. on that. Um, they... For whatever reason, if people want to leave a league, in a dynasty league, it's hard because you need to find a replacement manager or the league folds. So on MFL, you can bid on orphan teams. So this league, for example, is $110 buy-in. I think I got my 22 buy-in for like 60 bucks. So I, I, I nice. lowball these leagues for, you know, the following year I'll have to pay full price. Right, but right, right. you can kind of get in um, cheaper this way, um, especially most of the teams that are orphaned are kind of 
have some issues, and that's a large reason why these teams become open. But in a dynasty league, you know, if you're a smart manager, you can turn things around pretty quickly. So was that the state of this team? This was a bad team to begin with, or kind of just some the, good skeleton? But yeah, the, the team had the it. has the 102 coming up, okay. so I saw that as a good asset. It had Travis Kelsey, and it had Nick Chubb. Those were kind of the three pillars right. I saw that was like, all right, this is worth a bid. So uh, that being said, Travis Kelsey was uh, the focal point of the trade I made. I have a team that I kind of like some of the margins, but it's not really built for the future. And uh, Travis Kelsey is 32 years old. So I offer, or I think the original offer came from the person I traded with, but we had a few, you know, counter proposals. And what we ended up with is I traded Travis Kelsey, Marlon Mack, Devin DuVernay, and Robert Woods. And I received LaVisca Chenault, Odell Beckham, Adam Troutman, the 205 in this draft, and the uh, 22 first-round pick. Yeah, and I think if you're an absolute ready-made contender, I get why you would offer this for for Travis Kelsey, but this feels like a slam-dunk win. Well, and I forgot to mention, this is a tight end premium league, so it's a point and a half per reception for tight end, so that matters too, that factors in. Yeah, and I know when you initially texted me about this, so Robert Woods and Odell Beckham kind of, to me, cancel each other out. And that's Um, fair. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I understand the point. Yeah, and I guess the way I would put it is they cancel each other out in terms of what I'm expecting. I guess if they, you know, if one of them were to excel and and break sort of what I'm expecting for them the rest of their career and be worth a lot more than they are right now, I guess probably it would be Odell Beckham Jr. So maybe you give him the edge just based on that. But they're both 27 years old, which I was kind of shocked to find out that they're the same age. Um, So I thought that was sort of a wash. So essentially to me what this trade is is uh, Travis Kelsey and I guess Marlon Mack if you're putting any value there. But essentially Travis Kelsey for LaVisca Chenault, a first and a second. And Adam Troutman is kind of fringe, usable, fringe, viable, especially if Jared Cook moves on. But that's the way I looked at this, and I think that's a good price, at least if you're trying to rebuild from scratch, which it sounded like um, is essentially what you're doing here. Yeah, and this is also a super flex league. So 205 is more valuable in a super flex league because there's five – Right, maybe six quarterbacks that'll be gone by then. So you're looking more like a you know one ten as far as just a one quarterback league type draft pick. So uh, I love Lavisca Chenault. You know Trevor Lawrence coming in. Assume assuming Trevor Lawrence comes in, which would be kind of a shock if he didn't. Lavisca is a guy that I really wanted to add on some more teams, and I'm glad I was able to snag him here. Losing Kelsey hurts, but I don't think this team was going to be a true contender in Kelsey's remaining window. So that's why I made the trade. Well, and I think the thing that I thought was interesting based on you sort of explained the back and forth, this was the final trade, but I kind of got to see, uh, you know, watching the sausage get made a little bit. I believe the difference in in getting an accept to a decline was turning a 2022 first or or all the way around the 2021 first into a 2022 first. Maybe just talk about that for a second. Just, you know, it feels like people are very reluctant to take that random first, but then we'll pay the world for the 20 or the 107 in a draft. Um, I feel like that's a strategy both of us have capitalized on in the past. It feels like this team is gambling on themselves here in this regard because they had the 105 and the 205 in this draft. And I, um, I would have done this trade for the 105. Um, I offered him that basically everything else the same and he declined it. Then I offered him the 205 and the 22 first, 
which you know may or may not be even more value in picks. I'm not sure how you look at it, but then he accepted that. So I thought that was interesting that he'd rather give up a first the following year and a second this year instead of just the first this year. Yeah, and I thought that was sort of, you know, I, I don't want to say alarming. Alarming is not the right word, but that was sort of the piece that I thought was very interesting. And it seems like this um, wanting to make the here and now pick over the value play uh, seems pretty prevalent in leagues. Um, yeah, I think that was a really good trade. I think it should help you in the future. I think we should kind of move on. Before we get into championship reviews, kind of the big thing we talked about in this Tampa Bay-Green Bay matchup um, in our previews was just the overwhelming amount of quarterback movement, quarterback vacancies we're going to see around the league this week, or this this week, this offseason, excuse me. Um, and we got a little bit more news on that this weekend. Matt Stafford and Detroit have essentially agreed mutually to part ways. So it sounds like he'll have to be traded someplace. Um, and then you you all saw the, the press conference after the Green Bay game. I'm not Aaron Rodgers should win the MVP still this year, this, you know, this year, in my opinion. So it's almost crazy to think that he'd be anywhere other than Green Bay. But you look at that press conference and you hear some of the things that are starting to be said. And um, I guess maybe that's a conversation we should have as well. Yeah, the Rodgers thing to me seems pretty far-fetched to imagine him on a different team next year. But there certainly needs to be some nurturing in that relationship, whether it's from the Packers front office, yep. their coach, whoever. He, he's obviously not thrilled with something. So something needs to kind of get mended. But, yeah, we can speculate if this looks more like a divorce is looming. We can speculate more down the road on ideal spots for him. Aaron Rodgers is going to make any team better. I think we talked off air a little bit that imagining him in San Francisco yep, would be home. pretty yep. damn amazing from a fantasy standpoint, especially for people like us that are huge Ayuk and Debo fans. But <laughs> and Kittle. I think the thing more um, worth talking about right now is probably the Stafford thing, since both sides are – in lockstep in agreement that it's time to move on. And if you saw Dan Arnold's press conference, God, am I happy that Matt Stafford's getting out of that. That team's going to be a mess. And yeah, I, I love DeAndre Swift, so I'm a little worried about him with what I believe is going to be just a dumpster fire of an organization. But, yeah, there's some interesting spots for Stafford. Where would you like to see him go? Well, I guess – I'd rather have let you talk about that. What I kind of the, the tentacle on this end that I want to talk about is now Detroit becomes very much in play for a quarterback in the top oh, eight. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, Carolina was already sort of sitting on the potentially on the outside looking in. They're really on the outside looking in. And now Denver also um, at, at nine has to know that they're not getting one of the top four quarterbacks. So I think what this move does more so than anything now, I guess he could end up in Carolina. I know that's been one place that's been rumored. I don't think that's probably my favorite place. I guess Indy would probably, if you're just asking for that answer right off the top, would probably be my first place for Stafford. But I think that's the more interesting side of things is how it changes the NFL draft. And um, I think it's very likely that we see four out of the five, first five picks, either by trade or just by teams sticking and picking, Four of the first five picks being uh, quarterback. In yeah, this you draft. see those teams like Detroit now, I think, at seven, Carolina at eight, Denver at nine. Those three teams would all be in the Trey Lance conversation. One of them's probably going to have to move up to, yep. to five or something to make that pick happen if they fall in love with him. Uh, I've seen mocks where Justin Fields even falls a little bit, where the, you know, 
assume I don't know. The the other domino we got to factor in is Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson. Yeah, like, exactly. That's going to totally affect the draft too. Whether Houston gets into pick two, pick three, if they trade with Miami, they get Tua back. They're probably not taking a quarterback. But if if they take the Jets package at one hundred two, they're almost certainly taking Justin Fields or Zach Wilson at one hundred two. Yeah. So, it's going to be – there's a lot of dominoes that still need to get toppled before we can even speculate on where a Trey Lance or Zach Wilson end up. But Atlanta's in the mix too, so. Would would you agree that Stafford to Indy is sort of the Yeah, optimal? Indy I think is the most likely, most plausible fit. Uh, San Francisco I know we talked about with Rodgers, but sure. that would be pretty ideal as well. Yep. So. San Francisco, Indy would be my two preferred destinations where I would say Indy is probably the the most likely destination. Yeah, and would that cap hit, would that fall onto Indy's books? Because I know they for sure have the money to make it work. Or well, I it... think he's only owed something like $20 million against okay. the cap, so it's very palatable contract to okay. add. Yeah, that's, that's the spot I think it's most likely that he ends up. Um, we'll have to see. I think maybe the bigger question is, I think he goes to a winner. Are you buying Matt Stafford in Dynasty, especially uh, as it relates to Superflex leagues? Is he still a guy you think you can get three, four years out of, or is he more in the one- to two-year rental category. I think I'm buying, what is he, like 34? 34, yeah, yeah, that I sounds think, right, yeah. I think there's still a, a, a significant enough window there. Um, I I like him, but I, I'm not like skyrocketing him up my list either so i would like him on my team but i'm not gonna like significantly alter my ranking for him i guess if that makes sense i mean detroit was pretty fantasy friendly offense for many years with him so i don't think his production is gonna skyrocket i just think it's you know more likely than not that he's still a very good fantasy contributor and being in a more stable offense would be good for him. So yeah, I'd be buying, but um, it's also probably a good sell point too, in a weird way. Yeah, no, you absolutely could be right. By the way, he's 32. So uh, 33 going into next year. So that's, you know, still a couple good years left in him. Um, I think maybe the other interesting side of this coin is until a lot of these dominoes fall, as you put it, I feel like there's a, a, a lot of wide receivers in sort of shaky quarterback situations. Um, I, Michael Pittman comes to mind. The San Francisco receivers come to mind. Um, these guys that we we can't really definitively say who the starting quarterback is going to be. At the same time, we I just you know refreshed my my quarterback ranks. Um, when you add the five or six quarterbacks that we like in this draft class, this rookie class that is to the 23 or so names that I feel like are solidified. Um, The NFL is pretty good at sorting that out and getting these guys into the spots where they can be starters. I feel like the the quarterback position is deep enough to fill more than enough of these needs. And so where these sort of vague quarterback issues are, Indianapolis, I think, is the most glaring one. I think I'd be making some offers for some of the skill position players that you like essentially buying the notion that there's enough talent to cover all of these positions. We just don't know how it's going to shake out. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, people might be a little bit panicky right now, worried like, oh, what if this team misses out? What if that team misses out? Right. I'm working on a blog post right now, just kind of trying to predict where everybody lands. And I found that there's a few guys that I just couldn't pencil in anywhere. Like, it's there's going to be a few situations where it's a rookie battling a vet mm-hmm. stuff like that but 
every team, sh- there's no excuse for every team in the NFL not next year to not have at least a competent quarterback. Yeah, and I think kind of the place to just sort of end this conversation is it is going to be a really fun offseason between the quarterback carousel that we've talked about a bunch, um, a strong rookie draft class that is very offensively oriented, I think. Um, I'm working on something, kind of ranking the positions in this draft class. And uh, boy, five of the top six are, are, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's where the influx of talent comes in. It is going to be a really, really fun dynasty offseason. And I just um, I, I want to stay here and now and in the present. We still got football to review and football coming up ahead, a great Super Bowl matchup. But it is going to be it's going to be an NBA level fun offseason, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the one thing football was a little bit lacking in is yeah. true player movement, interesting trades. Quarterbacks always seem to stay on the same team forever. So uh, I, I love that side of sports, the, the offseason, the player movements, the fun trade negotiations and rumors. I kind of live for that stuff. So I'm super excited for this offseason. Well, let's dive right into the uh, the Battle of the Bays. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, headed to Lambeau Field, Curly Lambeau Field, and uh, was able to get a victory and head to, what is it, Tom's 10th Super Bowl? Is that is that yeah, correct? Number 10. Number it's 10. Unfathomable. It, it really is. It The more you think about it, um, Tom is 10 years my senior, and I, you know, I cracked my back just walking up a flight of stairs. Um, he's out there, you know, contending for another Super Bowl. It was, it was quite an impressive performance. I think kind of some of the notable things I wanted to talk about was, um, sort of the Packers lack of addressing who the number one wide receiver was in the room on that first drive. Uh, Jair Alexander, basically after that first drive, which I think Evans had 60 yards and a touchdown on two catches. Um, after that, uh, 23 basically followed him around the rest of the game. But how do you not know that coming in and, and leave Kevin King, a guy who who borderline was not even going to be active for this game, kind of just left the poor guy out on an island, frankly. Yeah. Um, I thought that was sort of mistake number one for the Packers in this game. Yeah, their D coordinator had a pretty rough day, I would say. Mike Patton, I'm not sure if he earned himself another year in Green Bay. Kevin King had himself a hard time. He's going to have a hard time showing his face again in in the city of Green Bay. But, yeah, they didn't do King any favors. So let's not hang the guy too much for a a bad day. Um, Hopefully Packer fans can, you know, forgive him and – Realize that he, you know he's a pretty good player. He's not a great player, but he, he was kind of well. I don't think he was healthy for this game yeah. too. The way I mean, Scotty Miller is not a slow player by any means, but Kevin King is faster than what he showed yesterday. It didn't look to me like he was one hundred percent healthy. Um, but obviously, that was such a big play right at the end of the half there for them to uh, go up. What I believe was eleven at the half yeah, there, twenty-one ten. That play was just stunning to see single coverage on the outside. Well, I mean, what are you? Just just ran by him. Yeah, no, I know. It was it was almost unexplainable. Um, And then obviously the second half starts almost exactly the way the game started out week five. I believe it was these two teams played in the regular season. Yeah, quick Um, turnover, quick turnover, touchdown. And it was it was it was a long climb back for Green Bay after that. And you actually got to give them a lot of credit. I sort of thought at that moment, you know, this could be it. But they. Uh, they responded. They made this a game. It was kind of, you know, I guess sort of the big thing to talk about in this game at the end is the the coaching decision to kick the field goal. I, 
I don't know. It's a hard one. You have to assume the two-point conversion on top of the touchdown. So essentially you have to convert a 15-yard play followed by a two-yard conversion. I don't know. The more I've thought about it, the more I lean to this being closer to a 50-50 decision than I felt in the moment. Where, where are you at on that? Well, I texted you live before we knew the yeah. end result that I thought it was a bad decision. I still feel that way. I I always am in favor of a coach playing aggressive or calling an aggressive game plan to try to win the game. I, I'm not a fan of conservative coaching decisions. Um it, you know, it may have it could have worked out for them. It certainly could have. If they get a stop, I'm not been against Aaron Rodgers going down the field and scoring a touchdown. So yeah. he was been on his defense. Tom Brady had been struggling a little bit in the second half. Had three interceptions. Uh, I think it's more of a 70-30 for me, but I would have absolutely gone for it. That's not just hindsight. That's just my kind of mentality. Um, I don't know. You got Aaron Rodgers. You just need one big play, and part of the blame's on him for not taking off and running say, on third down. Yeah, he had. He, he probably wasn't going to score, but he sure as heck was going to make fourth down a lot more manageable. Well, and did you hear what he said after the game? Actually, is I that didn't. so? Basically, they let him call third down there, uh, call the play, and in his mind, what he was thinking is, okay, this is three. This is four down territory, and he called third down with that in mind. And then they took the decision away to go for it on fourth down. And basically what he said is, had I known that, I might have called things a little bit differently, probably would have had some sort of crossers where I could scramble and make something happen. All they really ran on that play was basically like a, a stick concept where everybody just kind of mm-hmm. ran to the end zone and turn around. Um, so, yes, he should have ran on that play. But I also think, you know, that comment in itself was the most illuminating i think from his press conference yesterday where it shows a true sort of disconnect where they're they're it's almost like lafour wants to trust rogers but still doesn't quite and so there's this dynamic struggle you know power back and forth here well i think that that comment that i hadn't heard you can read more into the other thing we talked about earlier is maybe he doesn't feel like his opinions fully respected right. maybe uh, it's a personal thing like that where Rodgers has been known to hold a grudge. <laughs> we can't sugarcoat yes. that. So if he feels like maybe he was misrepresented, he felt like he looked bad for not going off and running, being under the impression that he was going to get another play, I could see how that would frustrate a guy like him. Absolutely. And kind of uh, a Green Bay um, on the recap side of things for the season, um, I sort of think this game was an indication that Aaron Jones is – seen his last snap in, in Green Bay. Is that fair to say? Yeah, especially because uh, I didn't realize Corey Lindsley was slated to be yeah. a free agent. He was an all-pro. He's going to command big money for a center. I'm sure they're going to want to keep him. The, the offensive line's a big strength of their team. Yep. If you had to choose one of the two to pay, I'm all aboard. Pay the linemen. Let the running back go. I think that's the decision they should make. So on that you know, assumption, let's say, well, let's say we go with that. Is Aaron Jones a buy because of the, you know, sort of unknown? Um, is he a sell because he's getting closer to that age cliff where we start to look at running backs as sell, uh, as sells, excuse me. Where are you at on that side? You know, I'm kind of undecided because I was thinking I could argue this either way. Um, for me, he's probably a hold. Um, if the team's going to go out and spend money on a running back, I got to imagine it's either going to be a bad team with a lot of cap space that needs just to spend it somewhere, 
or it's going to be kind of a ready-made contender like Tampa Bay, the team we speculated on, yep. that just kind of is looking for the final piece. On a shorter deal. So yep. it, it, it could really go either way. I'd just kind of pay attention to the way the market flows. And if everyone's trying to sell, he might be a buy for me. If you know everyone's trying to buy low on him, then maybe you can sell him for about what he's worth. I, I, I like Aaron Jones, but... I could really, you know, it really just kind of depended on your the the state of your organization, if you will. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. I'm probably closer to the selling camp than the uh, buying camp, but I will say I think the high likelihood is that as he hits the open market before he signs with another team, there will be a a, a value drop, a chance to buy. Um, I am a fan of the talent, and I think if you think that he has two three years left in the tank. Uh, there is going to be a window, a short window possibly, to buy. How about, you know, the last thing here was, you know, uh, Valdez Scantling scores another long touchdown, but Lazard and, and Equinemius, and he uh, really struggled to get open for the better part of this game. Um, I don't think any of them are worth really buying or holding, um, but at the same time, they might have, it feels like they keep doing just enough to make it so that Green Bay doesn't have to replace them necessarily right. if they don't want to. Yeah, Lazard and MVS, they, they're like almost there, you know? Yeah. Like they're, they show 85% of what you really want in that wide receiver two in their organization. And they're both kind of redundant in their skill sets to a certain degree for yeah. them. Really what we both have kind of decided on that they really need is more of the slot guy, the Randall Cobb replacement with a – with the jet action wrinkle to yes. their game. Someone yep. like the Atwell, the Rondell Moore, the Kadarius Tony, a guy we're going to talk about later, yep. is the kind of wide receiver we, me and Josh would probably like to see in Green Bay. Yep, absolutely. Um, Tampa Bay, obviously, on to the Super Bowl. Is there any sort of – I mean, Leonard Fournette had an absolutely vintage Fournette run yesterday. Yeah, that yesterday. was kind of what I was most interested in from this game was – it doesn't seem like he's done a little bit enough to maybe warrant consideration to be back next year for them. He does. I, I just think in terms of dynasty, I don't think he can do this at a 16 or even at a 13 game clip during the regular season anymore. Right. Um, this may be sort of what they sort of look at him as is um, a guy that they can sit for eight weeks to start the season. He can be depth primarily. And then, um, kind of with fresh legs as the season progresses, maybe maybe work him in a little bit. I don't know. Um, certainly he looked good yesterday, or he, he looked very, very spry on that one run. He's looked good at stretches throughout the season where the burst has looked like it's back, and um, I just don't think he can sustain. So That's um, from a Tampa Bay perspective, yes, I think it is enough to say, yeah, let's bring him back and see if we can get – six, eight good games out of him. From a dynasty perspective, I don't know how predictable those six or eight games may be. So in that sense, um, his value may not even equal the points that he's going to score, if that makes any sense. What do you do with Ronald Jones going forward? I faded him going into the year. I kind of warmed up to him a little bit, but I'm back to kind of being completely out on him. Am I being too rash? No, I don't think you are. I still see people that that have him in the top 25 of their dynasty rank, and I just think it's it's crazy. I, you know, he's a talented player with the ball in his hands, no doubt, but um, it's clear at this point that they don't trust him even a little bit in the passing game. You know, it's so interesting where his career has gone. He was a dynamic, spry, almost like um, more agility back than he than, than power coming out of USC. 
Um, and here he is a couple years later. He, he added all of this weight to try to become a three-down back and never really excelled at the one thing that I thought could separate him at the next level, which was his pass catching. So it's this very strange career of seeing. Um, I, I usually tend to not like seeing running backs have to add weight at this level. I think that's always a, a recipe for disaster. I don't know. I'm selling if I can get uh, even 80% of the RB25 overall or so value I see for him out there. I would agree. Uh, should we move on to Buffalo, Kansas City? Yeah, we could probably get through this game a little bit yeah. quicker than the last game. I guess maybe we eulogized the Bills' season. Um, great year. We kind of touched on it a little bit. But is this kind of what Josh Allen needed in a weird way to kind of get to this level where people are ready to crown him as the next guy? And he kind of got kicked in the teeth a little bit. I, I think this might be a net positive for him long term. Oh, absolutely. It's a net positive. He They, they built so much uh, you know, confidence and, and just sort of – um, overall, just, I guess, belief within this organization this year. Um, I think this is momentum that they can carry forward into next year. Most of these important pieces on offense are coming back, and I actually think that there's a way to potentially add to this offense, especially if they can – I mean, they basically did this with no run game. Right. And I, and I remember Rodgers had a, had a year early in his career where he did that. I think he led the Packers in rushing. And I don't think Josh Allen actually led this team in rushing – um, but it was probably very, very close. Um, I think that's something that they can add that can that can further help his development. Um, this offensive line, I thought, kind of got exposed in this game yesterday, especially in the interior. I think their tackles are pretty good, um, but Josh Allen so often has to stiff arm somebody or or get a free blitzer and make him miss, and um, he's very, very good at that. He's an extremely talented quarterback. I think really the only comp for him is Mahomes. Um, obviously that's a huge threshold to hit, but, um, when I look at the Bills season, I don't, I don't think anybody can be anything but positive. I know, uh, the loss hurts yesterday. Trust us as Viking fans. We know how much that hurts, but, uh, yeah, I think there's only good things to say about Buffalo this year. Yeah, totally agree. Um, going forward too, it's going to be a really interesting off season for them. I'm, I'm quickly trying to look up their cap space and, uh, I think they're slated to be pretty tight to the cap next year, so don't expect like a massive free agent addition or anything. But yep. they do need to address this running game. It can't be a non-factor next year. And I, I think maybe they they will through their O-line in yeah. the draft, maybe more so than an actual running back. But don't expect Stephon Diggs to have 126 grabs next year. <laughs> I think that number drops, not significantly, but – it's probably more in the 90 to 100 range. They got to carry the ball at least 15, 20 times a game. There were games this year where they'd have like seven rushes. It's yeah. crazy. Well, and it was funny because the first game of the, the playoffs against, uh, what was it, Baltimore, they didn't run until the second half, I believe. Yeah, that's criminal. Yeah, and I think almost as like a statement in this game, they came out and I think they ran the ball the first two plays and then completely abandoned it, basically. Um, it's an issue. It really is. And, you know, they're robbing their best player of, of both play action and bootleg type uh, concepts that, yes, statistically, we've shown uh, not this podcast, but other smarter people in the industry have shown that play action increases passing efficiency almost regardless of where the running game is at. Yep. So it's still something that teams do almost no matter what. But when you can add a running game and start really pulling six, seven, eight, nine guys down into the box, 
Now these explosive plays start opening up for Stefan Diggs down the field. He doesn't have to just run slants and curls and, uh, you know, crossing routes short. Um, they can take some double move shots down the field. And I think that's where the real upside in this offense lies. Yeah, that's what really has to concern you about the, or maybe not even concern, maybe give you hope that this offense can continue to get even better is because yes. play action is such a boon to quarterbacks. Like, it's it, it really, really improves everything about their passing. Yep. Um, it gets you so much better, you know, single coverage, a lot of busted coverage. Like it could it could help Josh Allen out tremendously just to get a respectable running game. Just something you have to at least account for. Uh, this offense, Gabriel Davis can get a lot better. Dawson Knox can get a lot better. Yep. John Brown may be gone, but Cole Beasley's shown like he's got plenty in the tank like. This is still an offense to be reckoned with going forward, and hopefully they, they, they recognize the areas they need to improve on. I can't imagine they won't. Just kind of an interesting thought I had when you were kind of I, – I do love Dawson Knox. He's a guy that continues to – the more and more I, I watch him, continues to impress me. I feel like we're seeing growth from him. But I look at him and I say he's more of that joker, that H-back move tight end. What if they brought in a guy like Pat Fryermuth along with some sort of offensive lineman and they made those two picks their first two picks? A guy who could, as a tight end, both expose the seams of the defense but then also help you out in the run game along with some sort of road grading left guard that can help them sort of push the line of scrimmage backwards. Um, you add something like that to this offense and I think sky's the limit. We both still have Josh Allen, I believe, as our quarterback, too. Is that right? You still have him at yeah, two? Yeah, and I think I'll keep him there. Um, yeah, the tight end thing, Fryermuth, I could see that happening. They're a team that seemed to like to run a lot of multi-tight end yep. sets all year long. Yeah, um, what, what's the – is it Lee Smith scored like yeah, four or five touchdowns this year? Yeah, that other guy, year? Tyler Croft, yes. was involved a fair amount. So uh, There's room. Yeah, there, there's room in their currently designed <laughs> offense to add another body there. So it wouldn't shock me at all. Yep, absolutely. And uh, on the KC side, obviously, uh, it's pretty much the same old story. Tyreek Hill um, is the fastest player in football and nearly uncoverable. Um, Travis Kelsey, same deal. Uh, he has, I think, 11 catches and two touchdowns in this game. Just utterly spectacular. Um, we're going to see a great Super Bowl matchup. I think kind of the thing that I wanted to talk about about KC is not so much a dynasty take, but about a, you know, just sort of an NFL legacy take. Um, obviously Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. I don't think there's anybody who will argue that even right now. Um, this is, you know, he's got six Super Bowls. He's going to his 10th, so it could be seven. But if there was anybody that with our eyes, we can see and project that you could even fathom passing a guy like Tom Brady in the all-time pantheon of quarterbacks, I think Patrick Mahomes is the only answer you can give right now. And so... I think if we're going to give Brady all this credit for being at the height of his powers at 43, um, if he loses to Patrick Mahomes and let's say Mahomes gets to four or five Super Bowl rings at the end of this thing, I think we do have a real conversation. Now, if Tom Brady at the age of 43 beats Mahomes in this Super Bowl, Mahomes has to actually then surpass, has to probably get to eight Super Bowls to even be in the conversation right. with Tom Brady. So I think, you know, Neither of these players probably care about this or thinking about this, but just sort of when we get 20 years down the road from this Super Bowl, I just, A, I want us to remember the context of, you know, we, we don't get to throw throw the Tom Brady loss if that's how it goes out the window because he was 43 because he is playing 
at the height of his powers right now. I truly believe that. Oh, for sure. And it, it's it's remarkable when you contextualize what Brady's done in some other ways that I've seen on Twitter. But, like, Mahomes is in the most user-friendly offense probably in the NFL right now for his skill set. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, you couldn't have designed two better players for him to have around him. Andy Reid, still probably the best play caller in the NFL. Like, can he keep that level of competency for the next – 15, 20 years, <laughs> highly unlikely. It's, Andy Reid's an old man. Whoever replaces him, it's going to be a hard press to imagine it being anything other than a downgrade. And for Patrick Mahomes to have the longevity that Brady said, you're going to need to replace Tyreek Hill yeah. two or three different times. Same yeah. with Travis Kelsey. Like, for him to even enter the Brady conversation, even with how good we've seen Patrick Mahomes so far, that's still just an incredibly tall task. It's and, a it's a long ways but away. If I were to bet on anyone, I guess it would be Mahomes, but I'd still need some pretty good odds. And that's my point, is that if we're going to have that conversation 15 years from now, I don't think we're going to have it unless Patrick Mahomes wins this right, game. Right, no one else could even come close to reaching that stratosphere. Correct. So I think just on a historical note, that sort of sets up what is already an awesome game that has awesome matchups across the board. I'm really excited. I've seen people who say they're not excited for this Super Bowl matchup, and I don't quite. People are too, too uh, triggered by Brady. I think that's probably too what tired it is. of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think he, it's a little. Fr- it, it's fresh. I mean, he's in Tampa. It's not the I Patriots. More, I, I realized this year that most of my hatred wasn't about Tom Brady. It was about Boston fans. Boston <laughs> fans are obnoxious, and I'm glad oh, that boy. someone else gets to enjoy Tom Brady. We love you, Boston fans. I don't eh, think I don't think you're obnoxious. You're spoiled brats. Well, Get over yourselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys had a great run, but let someone else win some championships for Christ's sakes. Well, somebody else is, yep. hopefully here. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that game more next week, obviously. But this week, the the football that's going to be on your TVs this weekend uh, is Senior Bowl. That's that's what we got at this point. We got Senior Bowl and we got uh, the Super Bowl. Those are the two football games left on your calendar so at the very least if you love football even if you don't care about these prospects even if you uh you don't think that there's any good ones or that you can't learn anything from this game it's still football dang and uh, i can't wait to watch this is one of my favorite weekends of the year frankly um i really love the senior bowl um we're doing the american squad this year i think it's important to note uh they're coached by carolina who obviously we mentioned earlier um looking for a quarterback i think uh, that's where we'll start this conversation. So I feel like Jim Nagy and the, the Senior Bowl crew do a pretty good job of addressing the team who's coaching these players, their needs, um, and giving them the players that are uh, worth evaluating. So um, this is the team that has the good quarterbacks. We mentioned that Carolina has a need, so this is where they all are. So I think that's where we should start. The four quarterbacks for the American team are Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, who won't unfortunately play in this game, but is showing up for uh, weigh-ins and interviews and all that stuff. He hurt his ankle in uh, the bowl game. Um, Kellen Mond and Jamie Newman. Um, We kind of broke these guys up, and we kind of watched some of this film together. So um, where do you want to start here, Newts? Well, I think the, the place we should start are probably the two guys that have the best chance of going in round one. Sure. Mac Jones, Kyle Trask. I don't know. Do you want to kind of group them together a little bit or or talk about them separately? No, I think they're they're worth talking about together because I think they're very similar players in the sense that they are the traditional style quarterback. They do not have the 
Um, as Rich Rebar would say, the Konami code of, of fantasy football. They are not good movers. I think maybe the one difference, and I think we've talked a little bit about this pre-show, um, Kyle Trask, 6'5", 240. Um, he's not going to move well, but he can certainly shed tackles and extend plays, I think, in a way that Mac Jones cannot. Um, but I think both impressed me with their arms and their decision-making and their accuracy. Um, so at the very least, I think if things align properly for them at the next level, they're supported by a good offensive line. They have weapons to throw to a running game to assist them. Um, a coaching staff that's more right. innovative than, than a, th- there's ways I think that both of these guys can be successful right away. Yeah. And doesn't it seem like these more traditional quarterbacks need, need more help around them yes. nowadays. Yep. Um, and th- these are guys that I think could both be good in the NFL. Trask, I think, is a guy that I'm personally more fond of. Do you have a preference? No, I think Trask is the one that I do like better. And it's it's basically that one thing, that escapability. It's not that right. he's ever going to take off and run. But at the very least, he's got a big arm and a big body. He can extend to play a little more so. That, I mean, really, Mac Jones impressed me. He really did. I liked the film that I saw. But when he got a free blitzer or when somebody just, you know, an offensive lineman got Olaid at the at the line of scrimmage and just there's a free rusher, he doesn't have an answer to that problem. He can step up in the pocket. I think he's got good feet and good footwork. But in terms of just raw ability to make somebody miss and create for himself, there's none of that. I think there's a little bit of that with Trask. Am I being lazy just looking at Kyle Trask and just seeing a young Ben Roethlisberger all over again? Or is that a little too cute because I want him in Pittsburgh? It's a little bit lazy because I think you do want him in Pittsburgh. But at the same time, from a build standpoint, um, I think there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, certainly, I mean, Kyle Trask is a far more productive player. Now Ben came out in a totally different time and in a totally different conference. But, uh, yeah, I think there's some similarities there. And I think with how much need there is at the quarterback position, um, I've seen mocks where these guys are going in the second and third round. And I just, I really can't fathom any of either of these two players getting outside of the top 32 picks. Maybe that's short-sighted by me, but that's really how I feel right now. Yeah, and it's kind of a, a bit of a down year in some of the defensive positions, Correct. like you mentioned. So where we'd see a lot of these cornerbacks and stuff going in the, the 15 to 32 range, maybe some of these teams are just like, this cornerback's like a 53rd guy in our board right now. <laughs> we don't need a quarterback right now, but we got you know Ben Roethlisberger who could retire at any time. Why not take Mac Jones or Kyle Trask yep. or even our next guy, Kellen Mond? I don't think he gets into the first round. But I came away a little bit more ex- impressed than I expected to. Yeah, no, we talked a, a little bit. You were um, actually grinding his tape a little bit on, I believe, Friday or Saturday. I can't remember yeah, which day. Friday. And you texted me about him. And, you know, I've heard the comp uh, of, of Colin Kaepernick. And I sort of, from a build and just the look of him standpoint, I sort of understand why people make that comp. We, we both agreed. We watched two games together here this morning. Um he does not move like a Colin Kaepernick. I think the guy that he reminds me the most of coming out is Dak Prescott, where you're talking about big level production at a big school um, where people, for whatever reason, you know, and I, I, I liked the arm talent. I think we talked a little bit about some mechanical issues possible, or at least a lack of repetition or, or sameness in his repetition. Uh, but at the same time, 
I just look at a guy who's been highly productive at college, and I go, in the third round as a developmental player, if some things break correctly for him, um, I was highly impressed. Yeah, I was too, and um, neither of us pretend to be quarterback mechanic gurus, but um, just from watching the five games or whatever it was that I watched of him, you see his back elbow, It's sometimes it's nice and high, and sometimes he gets a little lazy with it and it falls down, and it seems like whenever he gets lazy with his mechanics is when his struggle's yep. coming. So I see a player that's coachable, and when, when things look right, his his ball has a lot of zip and it's accurate. But it is. I, I think when he gets lazy with his mechanics is when some of the inaccuracies come in. So I think a smart coach, a, a guy that's good with quarterbacks, could really turn him into a pretty darn good NFL starting caliber player. Yeah, it's a lot of what we saw from Lamar Jackson this year, too. Just this weird, you're dropping your shoulder down and you're throwing it from three quarters when there's really nobody in your face pressuring you. There's really no reason to do it other than just kind of it's like a mechanical a breakdown. comfort zone or something. It right. feels more comfortable. But sometimes, you know, proper mechanics aren't about comfort. It's easy to fall into bad habits just based on what gives you the least resistance. Sure. And I, I'm, I, I'm no expert in football mechanics, but I golf, I play baseball. Like I'm used to repetitive motions. And when, you, when you're not diligent, it's easy to fall into bad habits. Yeah, and I think that's some of what we saw. Um, I think, you know, the other guy that, you know, I was much higher on than um, I maybe I should have been. And based on what I saw in this, in, in the one game I was able to get film on of, of Jamie Newman. And maybe, by the way, real quick, we should just shout out one time real quick. Uh, Dynasty Nerds Prospect Film Room is where we're watching our tape. Please go uh, subscribe to Dynasty Nerds Podcast and, and go check out the website for basically a cup of coffee a, a, a month. You can uh, watch tape and, and all of these prospects are available in a big database. It's really one of the best things out there in the fantasy industry. I just wanted to real quick point that out. Um, but Jamie Newman just, he did not impress me. Uh, there's certainly some juice in the arm, but it was it was highly inaccurate. Obviously, he sat out this whole year. Um, I think there's a lot on the line for Jamie Newman. And while my film watching of him is a little bit limited by sample size, um, I guess I was expecting to see a better player on tape than I did. Um, he's a better athlete, I want I, I want to say, than Kellen Mond, not by a huge amount. I don't think it's something that can carry his ability at the next level. Um, but there is a good athlete in there. I just, I don't know, I was not impressed with his accuracy or his decision-making um, in the little bit of film that I was able to watch on Newman. All right. Um, what do we have? One running back, two running backs? Just the one running the back. One, so. uh, yeah, this, again, Carolina, look at their team. They got Mike Davis and they got Christian McCaffrey. They uh, are not in the camp for a running back, while the other team, the national team, which we'll preview on the Thursday show, uh, that's the Dolphins roster. So that's um, pretty much all of the big name running backs or the best running backs, in my opinion, in this class are on that, that national squad. So uh, Kylan Hill and, and Elijah Mitchell were the two guys that we did pick out as interesting and worth talking about here. Um, you watched Kylan Hill. I haven't had a chance to watch him yet. He's kind of been a guy that I've had semi-high up my board just on reputation alone. What'd you see? What'd you think of Kylan? I had no opinion on him going in, and I'm kind of confused why he's a prospect, to be <laughs> honest. I didn't see really any skill that impressed me that looked like an NFL talent. Maybe I'm being harsh, but he didn't look very fast to me. I don't know where he'll test if he runs a 40 or not. Didn't look very fast. Didn't break hardly any tackles. Uh, he's a 
Okay, I, to compliment him a little bit, he seems to be pretty good in pass protection. Okay. Picking up blitzers, stuff like that. That could earn him a spot on the field. Um, maybe, you know, he works hard at special teams. He, he proves to his coaches that he can pick up the blitz. Maybe he gets some third down work. He, he doesn't have stone hands, but he doesn't do anything particularly like, wow, that was a great route or, wow, right. that was a great catch. Like, everything just, you know – feels kind of basic to me yeah and you know i shouldn't say i've watched no colin hill obviously mississippi state's on on saturdays and i've definitely caught them a few different times um he just seems like a a a jack of all trades master of none type player to me yeah that's a good way to put it and you know i guess there's some value especially like you said if, if pass protection is something you can do then you have that plus the ability to fill in as sort of a change of pace guy to whatever the lead back is then he can be a big guy or a small guy and you sort of have a compliment. So I guess there's some value in that. Um, but, yeah, he just seems very ordinary to me. I, the more I'm learning about some of the guys that I had ranked below him um, and some of these late-season risers, um, I'm he's slowly moving down my board. Um, I just don't think that there's a lot of sort of three-down capability at the next level. Well, there. just because we're discounting him now doesn't mean anything, really. He could be a gym rat, work his ass off all off season, put yeah. on some muscle mass, improve his speed, you know, get fall into a good spot. Like there, there is still a path for him to being an NFL running back. Like we've seen, you don't need to be, you know, the most gifted guy in the world. Sometimes opportunities, all a, a running back needs. If he, if he falls in a spot with a good offensive line, a good scheme, like opportunity means a lot. So if he, if you were to find opportunity, he works his ass off, then maybe there's a spot for him in the league. But if I had to guess, he's just going to be one of those guys, fourth-round picks, that churns the bottom of the rosters for a year or two and then just kind of disappears from fantasy. But yeah. could be wrong. Nope, I think that's that's kind of the way I feel too. Um, a guy I, I watched was Elijah Mitchell. Uh, so he's out of Louisiana. And, uh, you know, certainly I only got to watch one game here. Um, it was against Arkansas State, so certainly not a high-end quality opponent. Uh, but for an undersized back, and he's 5'11", a little over 200 pounds, it'll be interesting to see what his actual measurements come in here because some of these small schools, you can't trust the measurements even a little bit. So um, for such a physical runner, I was surprised to see him come in actually that small. He looked bigger to me out there on the field. Um, but there is a little bit of wiggle there. He had a really nice cut inside the hole on a you know third and three that ended up breaking a big long gain against Arkansas State um, there was a little bit that I was interested there he he seems to have somewhat of like a cult following in the Debbie and Dynasty communities so um, I think it's a guy to watch for here in the Senior Bowl this week like I mentioned this is not a roster that's incredibly stacked with running backs so a guy like Elijah Mitchell even a guy like Kylan Hill sort of has a chance, I think, here to stand out at least amongst the group that they're with. Um, and, you know, if it was Elijah Mitchell, I wouldn't be surprised. He kind of, in a very limited way, impressed me in, in the little bit I watched. Right on. Definitely probably a name that I'll be looking for, hopefully getting an opportunity in this game. Um, it would be nice to find a kind of a diamond in the rough. Uh, <laughs> when's this game? On the 30th? It's on Saturday, Saturday? if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, it'd be fun to kind of see a guy kind of emerge from from the shadows, if you will. But um, I think kind of the position from this team that was pretty fun was wide receiver, don't mm-hmm. you think, other than quarterback? So yep. um, 
there were two Florida guys here. I had uh, um, I'm sorry, I didn't Trayvon Grimes. Trayvon Grimes, and yep. you and you had Kadarius Tony, who um, I ended up seeing a lot of Tony as well because I was watching Kyle Trask, and yep. I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of blown away by him. Yeah, no, he's an excellent player, and and we can kind of. Trayvon Grimes is a guy I think to watch in this game, but I don't think that there's really enough out there to. He, he gives me Freddie Swain vibes, a guy who'll be a late round pick who who flashes a little bit. But yeah, Kadarius Tony, boy, I was blown away at the film I saw. I know I've talked a few different times on this show that I don't see him as a first round NFL draft pick, and frankly, I still don't. I just feel a little differently about the why. Um, I certainly think he has the talent to go that high at this point. That's really where my thinking has changed on this thing uh, on this um, the reason I don't think he should or I don't think he will is because I like Rondell Moore a lot I know we just got a, a mock draft from Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network he had Tutu Atwell I believe going to the Packers at, yeah and I'll cut in real quick here yeah. is I've seen some Tutu Atwell I've watched a little bit of him on nerds already yep uh, he didn't do anything that impressed me as much as Kadarius Tony and I'll be honest I've seen a little bit of Rondell Moore. Maybe it's just Purdue kind of sucks, but Tony kind of impressed me a little bit more than Moore did. Yeah, no, and that's and that's totally fine to have that opinion. Um, I'm still team Rondell Moore. I don't think I see myself changing. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, if I feel like Rondell Moore can go in the first round, I don't have the problem with anybody having the opinion that so should Kadarius Tony. then. Really the issue I see here is, um, I know we talked a little bit about comps pre-air. You kind of had mentioned Percy Harvin. The guy I saw was Randall Cobb, and obviously Randall Cobb was a wide receiver one, I think, for one or two years there, a one or two-year stretch, and then he had wide receiver two uh, years on each end of that. Um, Certainly there's value to that. I just feel like um, the one issue I see is that he is more landing spot dependent, I think, even than a guy like Rondell Moore. Um, but maybe they fall more into the same bucket than I than I sort of am allowing for. Well, and I think we got a really talented draft class at wide receiver position, but it doesn't feel like a lot of these guys are landing spot dependent, and it doesn't it feel like the reason we may not see as many first-rounders is that's, there aren't that many landing spots left. That's exactly right, and I, I want to give credit. I, I saw Ryan McDowell posted like a um, basically the 32 teams and who the top wide receiver, the second wide receiver, and the third wide receiver was where the vacancies were, and then who the free agents were that were available. And frankly, if you just plug the free agents into the vacant spots, that's all the vacant spots there are. There is not a lot of room for these guys to go. And so, yeah, that's also part of the reason I still don't see him going in the first round. I see him as a middle second round pick. Um, but the one thing that I, before we move off of Tony, that I really um, saw that I liked is, boy, he's got a good feel for, for the option route. Um, he's running a lot of his moves out of the slot, and so he's settling down inside his own coverage. He's moving. He's you know uh, moving defenders with his eyes, I should say. Um, and I mean, the one jerk route he ran against, who was that? Was that Vanderbilt? Who was that? That he uh, absolutely just shook. Was it South Carolina? South Carolina. Thank you. Yes, it absolutely was South Carolina. Yeah, watch that game if you have nerds, or look oh. up that play. That was just. One of the more impressive individual efforts I've seen on a play all year long for yeah. college football. He really, he literally runs through five guys, basically a wall of five guys at the end of this thing to break it off. Um, Kadarius Tony, a guy that absolutely impressed me, and I think kind of is 
it frankly is the most talented uh, skill position player on this uh, American team, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think I agree with you that he probably won't go in the first round, but watching him play, I see a first-round talent there. Yep, I do too. Um, and then, you know, you, t- you we, we talked a little bit about Trayvon Grimes a, a little bit, so we'll move past him. The, the other two that we watched, and we kind of watched these guys together, uh, was the two Clemson wide receivers, Amari Rogers and Cornell Powell. Um I'll admit before the uh, BCS uh, national championship or, or I guess what would be the quarterfinal or semifinal, I should say, um, I didn't really know much about Cornell Powell, but he did impress me in that game. We rewatched that game. Um, Amari Rogers was the guy I expected to like a lot more, but the more and more I watched, Cornell Powell kind of grew on me as um, at least a guy that I don't think either of these guys are going to have high draft pedigree or high draft capital invested in them, but at least a guy that I feel like if the volume broke correctly for that, he could play the type of role, the wide receiver one role for an NFL team. Um, what was your takeaway on those two guys? Yeah, these are both guys that I think, uh, I'd be stashing on my taxi squads, yeah. my deeper rostered leagues. Probably not guys that are going to fit your standard 12-team league rosters right away, but certainly names to track. Hopefully, you know, end up in spots where they can develop and become maybe a a starter down the road. But I don't see immediate contributors. But, yeah, they they both, I thought, showed enough to belong in the NFL. Absolutely. Um, So that was the list of guys that we were able to get film on. I've got uh, some DVR versions of of some SEC and and, uh, Pac-12 and and Big Ten games that will allow me to watch a few of these other guys. I did want to highlight Shai Smith. He's a guy that I watched um, a lot in the lead-up to last year's draft, watching Brian Edwards. Um, he kind of filled that Debo Samuel role after Debo left in, in the 2019 class or 2018 class, excuse me. Um, he's a guy that I think is kind of interesting, a guy that I think you should watch for this week. Um, we really did not like the tight ends on this American team. Um, the, the three that are there are Trey McKitty out of Georgia, Noah Gray out of Duke, and Quentin Morris out of Bowling Green. Um, and I think maybe, you know what, it's not even fair to say that we don't like him. It's fairer to say that we haven't done enough work on any of these guys. Um, but I think the tight end position, just in name value alone, is much stronger um, on the uh, national team, which we will do on Thursday. Um, aside from that, was there any sort of um, bigger name players at the non-dynasty, non-fantasy positions that you had your eye on here in the American side? Yeah, I'll be looking at this through a Vikings lens as well, being yeah. a Vikings fan, kind of looking for our team needs. I, I still feel like our biggest needs are on the interior of our offensive line Me too. and the defensive line. So Alex Leatherwood um, is really the lineman here that probably interests me the most. And then on on defense, I'm looking at Quincy Roche as an edge rusher. And then uh, Marvin Wilson, I kind of like him, a, a defensive tackle, maybe a three-tech from Florida State. Yep, I like all three of those names. Um, you didn't hit the two guys that I think are the two best guards. Uh, Deontay Brown, Alex Leatherwood's teammate, uh, big number 65 playing left guard. He would really add some power to this Vikings offensive line. He's a guy that I'm very interested to watch. And then, frankly, maybe the most talented lineman in the draft, not named Penny Sewell and Rashawn Slater, is Trey Smith of Tennessee. Now, he has some health issues. I remember I, I remember knowing what the actual issue was in the lead-up to last year's draft because I knew he was going to be a high-end prospect this year. I, I, I'm blanking on what the issue is. There's a health issue there that's going to potentially scare some teams off. 
Um, but he is uber, uber talented. He's a guy that I really like. And then the last name I'll mention, um, Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest. I think he's a bendy, long uh, defensive end, can get upfield. He's a guy that I'm really interested to see here as well. Um, and I know there's not a lot of dynasty takes there, but we're just big football fans, and and uh, certainly there's more positions that we like than just uh, the fantasy ones. Well, and I've said it before on the show is offensive line, there's no fantasy offensive linemen, but you need to pay attention to these lines. Heck, yeah. You really do. Yeah, just ask Baker Mayfield if having two bookend tackles uh, can help a guy out. No um, kidding. You had Conklin, you had Jedrick Wills, and, and – you need to at least have a feel for whether the O-line's a, a positive, a negative, or a neutral. Yep, That absolutely. really matters when you're evaluating fit. Yep, and so I'm, I'm pretty excited about this this uh, American team. Uh, the national team as well has got some big names. Frankly, uh, two of the bigger names, two Heisman, uh, well, the Heisman winner and the Heisman runner-up, um, frankly, neither will probably play. But I think uh, the national roster, which we'll do on the Thursday show, uh, has just as much talent, maybe if not more, from a dynasty perspective. I think the tight end position is a little stronger, um, and the wide receiver position has a lot of interesting names too. Um, and actually, we mentioned that the the running back position is significantly stronger on the national squad. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to just watch some more of these guys. One guy that we did already cover last week, Michael Carter from UNC. We probably won't double down on him. So if you want uh, info on him, you can go back to our last episode where nice. we did kind of the, the North Carolina spotlight. But uh, I think that's really all about about all we got left for this show. So I'll, I'll tell you guys that it's the great one, Wayne Gretzky's birthday. So happy birthday, Wayne Gretzky. No kidding. You miss 1,000% of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky and Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> that's right well uh, have a good week folks and uh we got a little bit of a lull before super bowl sunday so let's fill that lull with some senior bowl stuff and we'll be back we'll be back with you on thursday absolutely have a good week